You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. For this episode, we'll be talking about Nick Drake, Pink Moon. In the room, I have Ben. Hello. And Adam. Yeah. Pink Moon is the third and final studio album by the English musician Nick Drake, released on the 25th of February 1972 on Island Records. The producer was John Wood. The genre is folk. And from All Music Review, Ned Raggett. After two albums of tastefully orchestrated folk pop, Drake chose a radical change for what turned out to be his final album. Not even half an hour long, with 11 short songs and no more, he famously remarked at the time that he simply had no more to record. Pink Moon, more than anything else, is a record that made Drake the cult figure he remains. Specifically, Pink Moon is the bleakest of them all. That the likes of Bella and Sebastian are fans of Drake may be clear enough, but it's doubtful that they could ever achieve the calm, focus, anguish of the album, as harrowing as it is attractive. No side musicians or outside performers help this time around. It's simply Drake and Drake alone on vocals and acoustic guitar. The lead-off title track was eventually used in a Volkswagen commercial nearly 30 years later, giving him another renewed burst of appreciation. The remainder of the album follows the same general path, with Drake's elegant melancholy of avoiding sounding pretentious in the least thanks to his continued embrace of simple, tender vocalization. Meanwhile, the sheer majesty of his guitar playing makes for a breathless wonder to behold. All right, what do we think of Pink Moon by Nick Drake? Uh, that Volkswagen commercial brought me here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember that commercial. I, I remember like seeing that commercial and hearing that sound or that song for the first time and just the way the audio went with what I was seeing, it didn't feel like a commercial I'd seen before. And I went out and bought this CD like, and, and here we are. Here we are. Yeah. You're here. I thought this was, it's just a joy to listen to, uh, uh, again. Um, it's just like a masterful album by a guy who has complex, I think, chord, progressions ideas and a very intimate it's like a very intimate album and i think that that's what resonates with people so much is that it's just a simple idea and it just like transcends uh you know seeing someone live just performing by themselves and yeah having those ideas i don't know i can't even put it into words i'm doing pretty good yeah <laughs> i think that 
all music review was uh, a little passive aggressive about the mm. quality of Bell and Sebastian's work. Okay, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, no, uh, back to the this record. It's yeah. I mean, all his records are just good. Like they're just he he just has such a distinct style. Um, you you can absolutely you know who it is when it's on. And yeah, I think that that's his genius is um, finding a way to make us just continue to enjoy it every time. And I don't mean to make it sound like he's a one trick pony, but like he yeah, is gonna, in the best way possible. Like, yeah, I was like, gonna ask because last time I think we were a little like, eh, I don't know so much because the last one was a little more poppy, is a little more orchestrated. It didn't have that sort of like sparseness. Yeah, I I like. I like all this stuff. I do think this record really hits. Um, yeah. I think it's interesting. Um, it really just sounds like a man with a guitar, but it feels like it's a lot more. Um, there's a lot of uh, fret noise I noticed in the production. There's a, a couple songs where he's like really thumbing that low E and it's just like boom. And you can hear it like go in the red and vibrate a little too much, but it's, it's in there and it makes you remember that this guy just gets up there and his brand is just him. And you know, he, he can just play you a song with an acoustic guitar and it sounds full and exciting and, and very lovely and pleasant. I was going to say there's some variety too on the album. I was, I was, con- uh, you know, concerned with, uh, cause we kind of like actively listen. I, I actively listen to these albums like because, because it's kind of like homework, and I was like, am I going to get bored with this album? I didn't get bored at all. Mm-mm. I think it's the right length, hit that, uh, you know, about half hour or, or so. It makes you want more. It makes you do, do yeah. want a, a, a bit more, but he keeps it varied. He keeps each song the right length, and then he varies the sort of, like, tonality, and I think the real trick to that and what he's doing is he's making those different... Um, open tunings those alternative tunings that he's like famous for doing that aren't just the typical guitar sounds yeah. so you know it, it varies each with the in each song he is creating something new and different by using those and his his vocal is intimate vocals it just sounds breathy. fresh to your ears yeah, from the sound the tunings yeah, yeah and it has like a comfortable sort of breathy singing along with these different and interesting like chord uh, elements i don't know i just think it's like haunt it's a it's a bit haunting but at the same time beautiful it's something that is completely different than i think we've gotten with those other folk like singer songwriters this it it doesn't feel like alexander spence or you know those right. those um, other sort of I feel like t- people like to say tortured uh, like sort Sid of Barrett. Sid Barrett. Yeah, or, this, I agree it, that like this the sparseness a, and the um, sort of quiet stillness creates an intimacy that none of those other records even get close to getting, and the, it's just the braveness. Like I think we just listened to the song "Road," which. Uh, horn. Oh, sorry, horn. But both. Well, I think. Yeah, it was horn. All but right. there's there's like a couple just instrumental tracks that are so spare mm-hmm. of just like a freaking acoustic guitar, which normally, I mean, really, like 
if a record had something like that on there, you would say, uh, you put this on your album, right? You know, it, I can't believe you put this on your album. Those songs were wonderful. Like yeah. they, they, they stick out in such a like tensiony, simple way where everything's been stripped away and all you get is like a very real feeling of sort of like a sad beauty. It's, yeah. it's really, it makes me, it makes me really think about how a strong melody executed confidently and with care can matter so much more than the biggest orchestrations that are, that are forcing you to make, to, to have a big feeling. Yeah. This one, uh, I, I in, like. Of course, as soon as I read it, I heard it. But I, until I read it, I didn't realize that that this it really is just him and a guitar, except for like a piano overdub on Pink Moon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, but yeah, it it made me really. I hadn't quite noticed his guitar playing on his earlier albums, and it's really nice. The stuff that he's doing, like. And that might be partially why I hadn't really noticed before why it's just him and a guitar. He's making that guitar do... It's carrying a lot of musical weight. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's got the bass covered. Yeah. He's got, like, melody in there. It's not just strumming. and Yeah. You know, I just think it's it's just very well done. I mean, it's it sounds so interesting to me to go into the studio and just be like, okay, the songs are ready. Because that's when you think about it, like a lot of these other groups will go in and sometimes they'll write in the studio for that matter. And then they'll work it out and then, they, you know, they're layering and they'll take something away or the producer will say, add this. This man just showed up and they pressed record. Yeah. And they're like, literally, that was a good one. It was two literally, late night sessions. Yeah. Literally, John Wood is like quoted as as saying all he did was set up one mic and press record, the st- and this is it. The studio was booked until uh, 11 p.m. both nights, so they went in after it was free, and yeah, John Wood just played, set it up, hit record, and yeah, he recorded half the songs one night, half the songs the other night. I wonder if they intentionally had it late at night, because the sleepy quality of this album is very intoxicating. It is. And I wonder if, like, if his performance is, like, Five percent. I don't think it was intentional. Chiller, you know? I think it was just that was when it was open. Mm-hmm. But I guess I mean like the it effect was, of it. It also it was said that he would stay up late in in his house. Like he lived with his, uh, I don't know if his both parents, but at least his mother said that he she would wake up sometimes and hear the most beautiful music, like because he would just be practicing in his room like <laughs> late at night, putting on these oh instrumental like 
or these sort of like alternative tunings and playing around with these melodies and things. Can you imagine Nick what Drake a, just like... What a nice thing to wake up to. Like, <laughs> oh my God. I feel like this is such an idea. And what a um, interesting, if that's the case, that would inform the music that he would play. Mm-hmm. If that's his opportunity to practice and that's his habit, mm-hmm. you know, well, like he, he can't be up there wailing, you know, yelling and, you know, banging the drums or whatever you know it's like like he's this chill style that he's got yeah is so um i don't know just reserved like maybe out of necessity a little bit yeah i thought it, it, i also read it was worth noting so like nick drake famously struggled with depression mm-hmm. uh no yes <laughs> but when he was when he was making his music whether it was like writing it recording it when he was active in music was when he was more free from the de- like depressive tendencies. Mm-hmm. Like when, when he was, when, when he was deep in depression, he wasn't very active musically. So people, people that say like, you know, people, I don't know. I was reading some stuff where people were, were saying, you know, the, the music, like, like, Oh, this, this, all this depression in this music, but like for Nick Drake, that like the music was his happy times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I had read that too. That he didn't find it was not the music sort of carried him through. He also tried to shy away a lot from depression and taking antidepressants because he, it was such a stigma of the time that he didn't want to be perceived as like someone who was crazy. But that also led him to take other drugs and also I had read quote unbelievable amounts of marijuana. <laughs> I also read that and I'm wondering meaning so, so how much are we talking about Yeah, that? meaning a lot. Cuz I can believe a lot of weed. Yeah. Especially for this it's this fa- kind of laid back and melodic uh, yeah. melodies. And a musician like in 1972. And I think that also probably lended himself to have the sort of like patience and control to do these uh to do some of these uh slower ballads these different melodies different things that sounded good but maybe weren't standard i I keep coming back to the like the tunings and things like that because when you're like sonic youth and you're on a lot of drugs and you're like just sitting in your house and you're just flipping the tuning pegs and you're just hearing what sounds good you're not thinking about oh is that a g what is the you know you're just thinking what is you know how is how am i interpreting this yeah like sort of like a pure musicality of of hearing uh and then uh, basing your songs off of of that yeah i thought this album was great it's it's yeah it's sort of putting us all in a like a (laughs) not sleepy mood but a more like relaxed mood i feel like i also feel like his albums are structured in such a way that it's very interesting they're all three in this book and the first we one get his whole career in this yeah book. H- entire career and i'm fine with that i'm okay with that too the first one sort of started off with this uh melodic but also had that orchestration a bit of orchestration but it was a bit light and then the middle one's a lot more high production and then this final one is the sort of a. it does a, have a, a arc it has like a um, yeah, a certain arc, and I think that 
lends itself to his like legacy and yes. be, how people like respond and think about a lot of things come in threes, you know, like yeah. trilogy style or, or whatever you want to say. And it, it makes a lot of sense. I did have a, a reservation when I saw that he was coming up again because I, you know, I, I just wanted to make sure that like they weren't overdoing certain people that have been made into these mythic yeah, figures. We just talked about Tim Buckley. <laughs> right. How yeah. He has three albums. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but the I think the thing is, is that these records are different from each other. And as I guess the Tim Buckley, uh, at least the first two are different from the third one. But like, um, but I just think that this stuff has such a timeless quality and I can't imagine a time when something this spare and delicate and beautiful won't resonate with somebody. And I think that's that's the kind of stuff that is so exciting to encounter in this book is the music that, you know, when we look back and, um, you know, it's 50, 40 years later, it's like it's certain records still just hit you even though you have no context or no um you and you come from a a, if it's the first time you've heard you come from a background where you've heard a million things that borrowed from it sometimes these records just really hit and i think nick drake just has a a timeless style Um, So it written and I saw it say mentioned his mom earlier uh, Molly Drake she was uh, a poet composer and singer and um, so I, I guess um, my I think my understanding or my memory was that he definitely was influenced by her work yeah I think they were an artistic household and, yeah you know, and then he was encouraged obviously yeah so. I think he was Absolutely encouraged. So, there. which I think is, you know, I, I'm always interested to hear about his sister of- Gabrielle Drake uh, was an actress, and she is in some like cheesy sci-fi titty flicks. Wow! Like Russ Meyer style. Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I do love bad '70s movies. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll have to check this out. Uh, what do you think of this album? I, I really like this album. Uh, I, I've been familiar with this album for a while. The first time I listened to it, which was about a day or two after I saw that Volkswagen commercial, my original take was that it was all very pretty, but it was all pretty homogenous. Yeah, okay. I was just like, it just sounded kind of like an entire album of like that sound. And, you know, the more I listen to it, the more I dig in the more I hear, you know, the, the, the differences that, that are being explored through the whole thing, it's still very, I guess a nice way to say it would be cohesive. You know, there is, it's definitely like a sound that he's working with. 
and but I like that sound, and it's it's nice. It's it's just a good, you know, it's a late night record. It was mm. recorded at late night. It was probably written at late night. It's good to be listened to at late night. Okay. Yeah, I think it's a great record. Very positive. Um, I first heard it uh, in I think the tour van, probably like two thousand one. Um, just uh, one one of my bandmates would put it on. Actually, two of my bandmates would put it on a lot, and um, I had not heard it before. I'd heard of him, but I just not heard it. And uh, we listened to it a lot in the van because it was. That's an um, interesting choice too. Well, here's why: like a... there are certain records that are just too much, and that when you're exposing everybody else in the vehicle for hours and hours every day in the vehicle, you have to. Um, uh, basically try to pick stuff that, um, you know, this is before like iPods and before, yeah. uh, you know, everybody had their own phone with all their music on it and headphones. And like, so we would, we would listen to records that, um, kind of, we either all agreed on or everybody agreed on in the moment, like we're pumping up. So listen to something aggressive or whatever. Um, but you just didn't want it like after, like, I remember like, I know this is a tangent, but I remember our keyboard player Vincent would listen to like every record by every artist he liked. So when you're listening to like literally Bob Dylan's worst album, <laughs> and like and after like listening to like three of his other okay albums, like it there it would just you'd get it like you go a little crazy because you're like, yeah, I get it, like he's a genius, but like this is not good. And, you know, <laughs> and like, let's move on to another artist, but he was just digging and trying to give the full catalog the respect, right. you know, and the, and the chance to enjoy it. And so he would, he would do a lot of stuff like that. And I was always grateful when Nick Drake came on and, um, cause it was a mollifier, you know, yeah. it was very, very pleasant. Yeah. When Nick Drake would come on in the van, would, would kind of everyone just like look out the window yeah, it's, it's a looking out the window kind Long, of longingly. Um, <laughs> well, and the other record that I guarantee was like slightly influenced uh, was a Beck's Sea Change. Yeah, that oh, would yes. be when we would drive through the night and we'd be arriving home and it'd be like just getting light again. Uh, that record would would get put on. In addition, Nick Drake would also get put on in that yeah. context. But those albums uh, were those records that everybody just sort of got pensive. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. very positive for me. This is, uh, I think, this is one of those albums too that, yeah, you're, you're right. It's a bit out of time, and it feels like there's something like really pure about just having an in- a person with an instrument and their like voice uh, over top of it, in in nothing else. I mean, you could say that about like Rave Shankar or something like that, where it's just like one instrument. Um, you know that you that you're playing, but there's just something like really appealing to me about the, something very, very, very simple. Uh, but also, he he keeps that sort of uh, complex. Uh, you can feel the like sort of complexity of the songs and the singing style, but it is it is just one person doing it all. You know, and it's not it's not like trickery where he's doing overdubs. He's not doing he's not doubling. He's not doing, you know, you could kind of compare this to Elliot Smith. Or, I was going to say we, we haven't or, mentioned him yet. But yeah, we maybe did last time we covered Drake. But at the same time, I mean, 
he he does a lot of doubling of his vocals and, and different things production. like that. It's production, yeah. But this is like some some sort of like pure form of a person at the a piano singing or a person a at the guitar kind of. singing, you know, just that that lonesome uh, uh, singer. Yeah, Troubadour. That's a good one. Nick Drake's cremated remains lie under an oak tree on the church heart of St. Mary's Magdalene in the small Wickshire of Tamworth and Arden, where he was born. The headstone inscription, Now we rise and we are everywhere. It's a line from uh, from from the morning, the last track on Pink Moon. Nice. Yeah. All right. We're just going to listen to Nick Drake. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next time we'll be talking about Paul Simon. Paul Simon. All right. Thanks, y'all. So look, see the sights. The endless summer nights. Go play the game. 